0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to everyone this morning, this great Easter morning. Welcome to all the visitors here with us today, too. Announcements this morning. The rose on the altar today is in honor of two couples celebrating their wedding anniversaries. Tom and Diane Flutterjohn celebrate 51 years of marriage today. And Jean and Grace Rediger will celebrate 58 years on Tuesday, April 18th. We also have to say happy birthday to Wayne Bombar, who turned 80 on Thursday, the other day. <laughs> on a uh, sad note, on Monday, April 10th, our uh, Reverend Hunt's wife Jean passed. Uh, there's more information, including an address to send cards, in the bulletin. The flowers near the piano are in her memory. After the service, you're welcome to come and take a flower from the vase to remember her by. Also, after service today, we are having Sunday school classes for those who are able to stay. And if you would join me and stand for the call to worship. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Praise the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us new life and hope. Yes. God has claimed us as his own. He has brought us out of darkness. He has made us light as the world. Hallelujah. Christ is risen.
1: He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
0: Number 217, Christ is risen today. invite the children to come forward for Children's Chat. Please turn and go.
2: Happy Easter! Easter. Wow! What a beautiful morning! What a beautiful weekend. The sun has been shining. How many of you have been outside enjoying this beautiful weather?
1: Yes! Yes! Yes!
2: Wow! Easter bunnies got you hard at work. What? You did. Wow. Well, you know, it is such a special day today because it's Easter, and we celebrate the wonderful miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead. He was dead in the tomb, but then on the third day, he came back to life. Isn't that amazing? Do you know of anybody else that has ever died and come back to life like that? No. Okay, hold on. Okay, so can anybody tell me what do I have in my bag here? What does that look like? It looks like an onion? Well, sort of, because you put it in the ground. It is a bulb. Does it look very alive? No, it does not look very alive, does it? Just like when they took Jesus down off the cross and they put him in the tomb, he was dead, right? Nobody had ever come back to life after being dead. Everybody thought that Jesus was gone forever. Kind of like this bulb. It kind of looks like it's done forever. But in the fall, if we take this bulb, and we put it in the ground, do you know what's going to happen? It's going to make beautiful flowers. Look at all these beautiful lilies all around here. Beautiful, alive, gorgeous flowers. Okay? And they started out from something that looked dead. And they, and they rose up out of the ground, and they're alive. Just like the third day, Jesus wasn't in the tomb anymore, was he? He rose from the dead, and he is alive. So every time you see Easter lilies or tulips or daffodils or those stinky ones, my kids call them the hyacinths, yeah, those all start out as bulbs, and they come up, and they're alive in the spring. Do you have tulips and daffodils at your house? Yeah, what color are mom's tulips uh, pink, and red. pink and red? Okay. So when we see those flowers coming up out of the ground, that reminds us that Jesus is alive. He was dead and rose from the dead. Okay. So let's say a quick prayer. Thank you, God, that an old looking bulb can miraculously turn into a living flower. Thank you also, God, for the miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead. Thank you that he is alive and can be a wonderful friend for all of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter.
0: Killed in the past week in Afghanistan. Staff Sergeant Mark R. D'Alan Carr, 37, killed in Nangarhar province in Afghanistan. He's from Englewood, Maryland. Keep his family and friends in mind, as well as others of our armed forces in harm's way. At this point, we have somewhere around 5,000 troops in Iraq, close to 1,000 now in Syria, 9,500 in Afghanistan, 28,500 in South Korea, and in addition to that, probably another 100,000 or so throughout various places and on oceans in the world.
3: Thank you, Jay, for that reminder to pray for our, those that are serving in our armed forces. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, again, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful for the celebration of Easter, that when you died on the cross on that first Good Friday, you did not stay there. You did not stay in the grave, uh, but was raised to life. And so we are so grateful for your victory over sin and death in the grave and the, the hope of new and eternal life that we have in you. Uh, with that in mind, we also are thankful for new life that you bring here in this world. Uh, we're thankful for the birth of, of a new Whirlwell child and pray that you be with, uh, be with them and help them to grow uh, healthy and strong. And I pray, Lord, um, also for those that are on the concerns list. I pray that you would be with them, guide them, comfort them, and bring them peace at this time. Lord, uh, there's a lot of different issues that they're facing, whether it's health or finances or relationship issues. Lord, uh, whatever the case may be, you know what's going on, and you know uh, what it is that they need in that moment. Lord, we thank you that your victory over sin and death and suffering has real impact in our lives now, and pray that they would be able to experience that for themselves. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who Lord art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, those that are helping with the offering come forward. I uh, just want to. Uh, just mention that our offering today goes to help support the General Fund, and we're going to be blessed this morning uh, by the Handbell Choir with Sharon accompanying them.
4: Please remain standing and read along in your bulletins or your Bible for today's scripture, which comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. If you would remain standing and sing the wonderful Easter hymn, number 216 in the blue hymnal, Christ arose.
3: You may be seated. Well, hallelujah, he is risen. Thank you. <laughs> yes, what a, what a great way to, to start the service to celebrate uh, Christ's resurrection. I just want to say thank you to, to Sharon on the piano and Eric for directing the choir and the handbell choir. Just what a, what a blessing to have that all uh, this morning. Uh, if there's any day for us as Christians to celebrate, today's the day, right? Uh, to celebrate His resurrection and the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave, but He's alive today. So, thank you to to all of you who've been a part of this and making this happen this morning and making a wonderful celebration of, the, of the, for this service. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for again for this day, uh, for all that You've done and continue to do in our lives. Uh, we cannot uh, just Lord, words cannot express uh, the gratitude and thanks. Uh, of our hearts and, and what you deserve. Uh, but I pray now that our our time this morning, um, our worship together through song and prayer and scripture reading and now as we look at your word, I pray that you would be glorified and that that we would give thanks with a with a heart and mind that's focused on you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, as I was preparing for, for our, this Sunday, uh, and, and preparing for Holy Week in general, there's something that I realized about this week that maybe I haven't before, uh, being my first, uh, trip through this season as a, as a senior pastor and having the first opportunity to help really plan and lead these kind of services. Uh, something struck me this time around that maybe hadn't, uh, in a way, uh, like, that I had, um, in previous Easters. And one is just the, the roller coaster of emotions that must have been going on in the lives of, of Jesus' closest disciples and his followers, and and what they were experiencing just in a matter of days and sometimes even hours uh, throughout this week. They went from the the jubilant celebration and, and joy and excitement of Palm Sunday, of welcoming Christ as King into Jerusalem, uh, to Maundy Thursday and the doubt and confusion that must have been taking place in their hearts and their minds as they... Shared in the Passover meal, and and Jesus instituted the Last Supper and talked about His broken body and His shed blood. Right? Uh, they had no idea at the time what was about to happen, even though Jesus had been trying to prepare them for it. Still, they they must have been in a state of confusion and doubt. Uh, and then that led up, of course, to Good Friday. And Good Friday of the 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 mourning, the loss, the grief. The doubt that must have been, uh, taking place that day as they witnessed Jesus arrested and, and brutally beaten and, and killed on the cross. Uh, there must have been a, uh, the, the doubt, the fear, the, the sadness that must have been taking place, uh, at that time. And then of, of course, into Saturday, Jesus in the grave with their hopes seemingly dashed, um, for their Savior. But then Sunday morning, before they arrived, the sorrow and resignation that these women must have felt as they as they went to prepare Jesus' body in the tomb, they didn't get to finish the burial preparations because of the Sabbath. And so, so early on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, uh, they went there to finish the preparations for his burial. And so, the the resignation, the the sadness they must have felt going there, knowing what they were about to do, about to. In a sense, say goodbye to their their friend, their teacher, their their rabbi, their leader, and so I can imagine the roller coaster, the ups and downs they must have felt, and then of course, as they're going there, they see this scene, this unexpected scene at the tomb, uh, with all of they had been going through, all the emotions that were flowing through them. Imagine what it was like to arrive at the tomb and see what they saw. They were expecting to see the tomb with the stone still. Closing the entrance. They're expected to see the guards guarding that to make sure no one would come in or out and 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 say, try to steal Jesus' body. But instead, they saw the stone rolled away. They saw the guards laying on the ground incapacitated. And they saw this angel of the Lord sitting on top of the stone and, and proclaiming the good news that Christ was no longer in the grave, but that he was alive and well. You know, the, it's funny, the, I read this week that the stone which was supposed to keep Jesus in the grave, right, was rolled away and and was now the seat upon which the angel pronounced the good news of his resurrection. The stone that was supposed to keep Jesus in there was was now the seat, was now the place where the first gospel, the first good news of his resurrection was proclaimed. So imagine the joy, the excitement, the the confusion probably, right, that they must have experienced there. And, and note here, you know, the angel proclaims that Jesus is the, the crucified one is alive. You know, the resurrection, it didn't reverse the effects of his death. It didn't negate what happened on the cross, but it but it brought meaning and purpose and fulfillment to it. Right? We celebrate Jesus' death on the cross and also his resurrection. They go hand in hand. His resurrection confirmed that what he did on the cross uh, was effective and, and worked for us in our salvation. And so now Matthew says that the woman... Uh, after arriving and seeing the scene that was taking place, seeing that the tomb was in fact empty and Jesus was no longer there but was alive, it says they were filled with fear and joy. I think that's such an interesting mix of emotions there and such an appropriate one. Probably fear. Um, you see, fear of angels is common in the Bible. Whenever one of the Lord's messengers comes and, and speaks to God's people, they're often filled with fear. One of the first words that's usually out of the angel's mouth is don't be afraid. Right, and so, so seeing the fear of of the Lord there uh, would would make sense. But there was also probably fear of the unknown. What does this all mean? What does this mean for us? Where do we go from here? This idea of what does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? So there was some fear of the unknown. What what all would take place? What this would all mean for them? But obviously there was joy, and how could there not be joy? Right, joy that their teacher, their friend, their savior was no longer dead. That what they had witnessed on the cross just just two days prior uh, was reversed. Was was he had died but was now risen, right? His his death on the cross was not in vain, but we see through his resurrection that it was made made real, made true. Uh, one of the the um, Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a great Bible for kids, we have one for Josephine, and uh, we love to read through it. And and we're actually almost done. We got just a couple chapters left, and then we would have read through the whole the whole Bible with her through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And and as the, the book talks about the resurrection, as it talks about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and that he is now alive again, it uses the phrase that God was making all of the sad things come untrue. And I think that's just, such a uh, profound and simple way to describe uh, what Christ's death and resurrection means for us. That God, through his son's death and resurrection, through what Jesus did for us, did for us on the cross. It's making all of the sad things in this world, all of the things that, that go against what God intends for us, all the things that, that rob us of our joy in the Lord, all of those things are becoming untrue. Our sin and even death itself is becoming untrue through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord is no longer dead, but He is alive. And so the women, uh, were witnesses Really, all along, through Jesus' death, his burial, and now his resurrection, uh, we see throughout the Gospels that the women stuck by his side each step of the way. Uh, most of Jesus' disciples had fled. Peter denied Christ three times. Peter, the supposed you know de facto leader of the disciples, uh, denied Christ three times. He, they claimed to not know him. And yet the women uh, are seen uh, by his side throughout the whole process. They were witnesses of his death on the cross. Matthew describes how they were there when Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body down from the cross and buried him in his own tomb. They were witnesses of his burial. And so they were also witnesses, uh, the first witnesses to the resurrection. And so they were, they were, they were able to give a first-hand account to it all. And the interesting thing about that is if someone were trying to make up a story about Jesus' resurrection, they're trying to pass off a story as fake news, right, to, to have some credibility to what they were about to do, what they're about to do if they're making up this story. Women as witnesses would be the last thing in the world that they would come up with. Most women, uh, for the women, for the most part, did not have any legal authority in the court of law. They couldn't be witnesses. They couldn't testify. Uh, so so their eyewitness account would would be considered invalid in most cases. Uh, and there were plenty of other options that would have made for much more credible witnesses, right, if they were to make up the story. They could have used someone like Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent Pharisee, a prominent religious leader who had decided to follow Jesus. He would be a great person to be the first witness. Uh, any one of the disciples, uh, they could have chosen a religious leader, right, who had been opposed to Jesus, who had witnessed his resurrection and, and had a coming-to-faith moment, um, Even one of the guards at the tomb would have been a better witness, legally speaking, than any of these women. But yet it was the women who had that first opportunity to witness the resurrection. It was the women who had the opportunity to proclaim the news to the disciples. And I think this lends credibility to the event. Because if they would have made it up, if this was just a fabrication and just a myth, there was a lot better options for them to choose than these women. But yet that's who is described in all four Gospels It's the women who, who are the first witnesses of the resurrection. And they certainly wouldn't have said that if it weren't true. But we get all throughout history, there's been attempts to try to explain away Jesus' resurrection, to try to explain away the importance of Easter. And there's no way I could, I could list all of these, but I just wanted to share a few with you. To, I'm sure there are things that you may have heard of at different times, uh, but they're all ways that people have tried to explain away what happened that first Easter morning. Some people subscribe to what is called the swoon theory or the fainting theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that Jesus wasn't really dead when they put him in the tomb, but he was simply unconscious. He had fainted from the pain and the loss of blood or or whatnot, and that that his time and the coolness of that tomb somehow revived him. And and not only that, but he was able to, in, in the state that he was in, bloodied and beaten as he was, he was able to push the stone out of the way on his own, somehow sneak past or incapacitate the guards himself. And, and then appear to his disciples in a in a way that that seemed that he had risen to life, someone who had gone through what Jesus went through through his arrest, through his beatings, through his uh, through his trial, and then ultimately through his crucifixion. I can't imagine someone having gone through all of that being able to simply just pass out and then come back to come back all on their own in that way. So there, I don't think there's much credibility to this idea that Jesus simply had had passed out. Uh, there's also the thief theory, the idea that, that the disciples broke in and stole the body somehow. Um, in fact, that's the lie that the religious leaders told the guards to spread in Matthew 28:11 through 15, that they somehow broke in and stole the body and, and were able to come up with this elaborate lie of a resurrection in its place. Again, that doesn't seem to be uh, have a lot of credibility to it. Obviously, that's something that could be easily disproven over time. Eventually, Jesus' body would have shown up somewhere and would have been able to prove that theory wrong. Uh, some people also believe that all of Jesus' resurrection appearances were simply mass hallucinations, that they were just figments of their imagination, that that, that somehow Jesus appearing to, in, some, in one account, over 500 people at once, was somehow just the figment of their imagination, which to me just seems absurd. How could 500 people of the same delusion at the same time have 500 people and, and dozens of other witnesses as well have that same sort of hallucination? And finally, the, the, another theory is that he was simply spiritually resurrected, that his resurrection was not a bodily resurrection, a physical resurrection, but he was just simply revived in spirit. That when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he wasn't really in resurrected body. He wasn't really alive again. He just appeared to them as if in a vision or a dream. Uh, and, and we see accounts of, of visions and dreams in the Old Testament and things like that taking place, but we see evidence that Jesus had a real physical body when he was resurrected. Here in this account of the resurrection, it says Mary and the other woman, when they saw Jesus, they bowed out and they clasped his feet in worship. They held on to him. Other accounts of Jesus' resurrection talk about him sharing a meal with his disciples. You know, he was able to eat some fish and some bread, right? Ghosts can't eat food, right? So there, he had to have been physically raised from the dead. There was a physical resurrection that took place. See, none of these theories hold water. The only explanation then if if the tomb was empty, if there was no body in the grave, uh, none of these explanations hold water. And so the only explanation then that makes sense is that Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. The fact of the empty tomb can't be disputed, and so we must come to that conclusion. It was And it was God's doing, not man's. I love the scene that's set up here for us, the earthquake, the appearance of an angel, the soldiers being incapacitated. Right? They all point to God working in the situation. They all point to divine intervention. This wasn't man's doing. This wasn't something that we would, like I said, we would come up with on our own, but it's all the work of God. In 2 Peter 1.16, he tells them, Peter tells them, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. You see, when we talk about the resurrection, this isn't just a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's something that actually happened. It's something that took place in human history that Christ, our Savior, died on the cross but did not stay dead. The tomb is empty and he was raised in majesty and glory. That's why no matter how hard people have tried over the years to explain away the resurrection, they cannot suppress the knowledge of the truth. The great mystery of the faith is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. People have tried to explain that away over and over again, but it's something that just cannot be explained away. It's the truth that our faith, our, our, our hope in Christ is built on, it's the foundation of the resurrection that, that brings us hope. And so if the resurrection is true, if, it, if, if this actually did happen, if Christ really did raise from the dead, um, if he died on the cross for us and is alive today, what does that mean for us? What's the implication of that in our own lives? First of all, it proves to us that he is the Son of God and Messiah. Jesus made a lot of claims throughout his life uh, about about his divinity, about his place in God's plan of salvation. Uh, But we have over time, just like trying to explain away the resurrection, we've tried to explain away Jesus' significance as well. Uh, We often put him in this category of good teacher or good example for us to follow, but he's so much more than that. Um, He is exactly who he says he is. There have been and will be many great teachers in this world. There's many people who leave good moral lives that we should try to emulate and follow. But the one thing that they all have in common and the one thing that sets Jesus apart from them is that they've all died and were buried and have stayed dead. Jesus is the only one who raised from the grave, who is alive and well today. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about how, how if we really examine the life of Christ and the claims that he's made about himself, we're forced to make a decision. We either have to consider him a delusional fool who just was out of his mind crazy, right, about all the claims he made about himself and all of those things, Uh, That's our first option. Our second option is that he is a a devil from the pit of hell itself, right? Because he came to, to teach all of these things. But if it was all a lie, if none of it was true, he was either crazy or he had to have some sort of evil intention behind it. But then the third option is that he is who he says he is, that he really is the Son of God. He really is the Messiah and Savior of this world. And really, if we think about it, those are the three options. We can either claim that he's a fool and ignore him, we can claim that he is somehow uh, evil, as, as some of the religious leaders of his day said, that he was in league with the devil. Or finally, as I hope all of us are able to do, we can understand and claim that he is the Son of God, the Messiah who came to rescue the world from sin. He doesn't really leave us any other choices. And so if the resurrection did happen, we're forced to confess, along with the centurion who witnessed the crucifixion, uh, surely this man was the Son of God. See, Jesus made some pretty strong claims about himself throughout his ministry. Uh, one of them had happened just that uh, Friday, Good Friday, when he was arrested and, and standing trial before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they, they, high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the great I Am. And he could accomplish, uh, and, and he, he alone can accomplish what took place that first Easter morning. And so Jesus must be who he claimed to be, the Son of God and Messiah, but he also, through his resurrection, conquered sin and death. His being alive today is proof that his death covered and took away our sin. If there's no resurrection, then we may be left wondering, did this death really accomplish anything? All right, did it have any meaning or purpose or value, or is this just another example of a good person dying for no reason? But his, but his resurrection proves that he conquered sin and death. You see, death, both physical and spiritual, is the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23. Death itself, then, must be conquered if we're to remove the penalty of sin from our lives. By dying for our sins and being raised to life, Jesus overcame the penalty of sin for us. Some may say, wasn't his death enough? Why is the resurrection needed? If his death overcame sin, why is it important that he didn't stay dead? Why is it important that he's alive today? The resurrection is what guarantees that his death was effective. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spends the entire chapter talking about the importance of the resurrection and what it means for us. In verses 13 and 14, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if you skip down to verse 16, it says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people must be pitied. You see, if there is no resurrection, if Christ is not alive today, then our faith is pointless. There's no meaning or purpose to it. But because he is alive, because he raised, was raised from the dead, we have hope for this life and the next. Romans 6.23, I mentioned, says the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The resurrection also tells us that faith in him can save us from our sin. Faith is an act of trust in something. And so it's about believing in our mind and in our hearts that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he took the penalty that we deserved upon himself, and then also that he rose again, proving that he conquered sin and death, and he has opened the way to eternal life for all who put their trust in him. And the motivation for this, the reason why God did this through Christ, is his love for us. Romans 5, 6-8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, love is the reason that drove him to to die on the cross. Love is the reason he came and and sacrificed himself for us. And it's love that that didn't allow him to stay dead but rose from the grave. And it's his love for us. And, And he simply asks that we put our trust and our faith in him. And finally, if the resurrection is true, if this is what uh, if, if Christ is alive today, it means that we have a mission to share that good news with the world as well. See, before the resurrection, the disciples were scattered, afraid and full of doubt. But after the resurrection, after they had witnessed Christ being alive, they were willing to die themselves for the gospel. And the one thing that changed, the one thing that convinced them of the truth of their message was their witness of Christ as the living, living, living. Savior and Lord. And now that he'd been resurrected and glorified, he would send his spirit to be with them forever, empowering them to share the good news with others. And it's actually immediately after his resurrection, when he meets with his disciples at the end of Matthew 28, he gives them that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, it was because he is alive today, because he's, he is alive and a risen Lord That inspires us, and and that's the command for us to go out and to serve him and to share that good news with others. So how will you respond to the resurrection today? Some may continue to explain it away, as many people have tried to do without history. They may neglect the impact that Christ's death and resurrection has on our lives. But I hope that you'll put your trust in him. You'll acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, that our sin that once separated us from God has been defeated through his death and resurrection. And receive the gift of new life that is available to all of us today. And we're about to share the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder not only of what Christ did for us on the cross, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, but it's a reminder as well that he did not stay in the grave, but that he is alive and well today. That as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we share the body and the blood, we are reminded that he is alive today. And that when we share that, when we partake in it, not only together, but we are are sharing that same meal with Christ, just as he did with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. And so he laid down his life, paying the price for our sins, and he was raised to life, proving once and for all that he conquered sin and death in the grave. Respond today in faith and receive him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us and continue to do for us uh, through Christ. Thank you that you are uh, no longer in the grave, but you have risen to new life and that you uh, you welcome us into your family uh, and, and pray, Lord, that we would all respond to that in faith. Lord, as we come to the table, knowing what you've done for us, we ask, Lord, that you would help us examine our hearts, help us to see the ways that we've fallen short. And and confess those things to you, knowing full well, Lord, that your death on the cross, your resurrection has conquered sin and death for us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember the promises of your word, that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Those helping with communion, please come forward. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take this holy sacrament to your comfort. Just that one more note, uh, if any of you are in need, we do have gluten-free wafers. Uh, the, the deacons and elders, I believe, have those available um, as well. So just make a, make a note of that as the trays are going around. the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you and for me. Take it knowing that he died for you. the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you and for all, that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Father, thank you for the reminder of your sacrifice on the cross, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. And this morning, we're grateful as well, Lord, today and every day. That you do not stay dead, but you are alive and well, that you are a risen Lord and Savior uh, who hears us and is even now with us in your spirit. We pray that you would help us to go from this place, uh, being encouraged and blessed by our time together. In Christ we pray. Amen. In closing, uh for our service today, the choir is gonna be blessing us with a uh song and, and of the Alleluia chorus, a version of Alleluia chorus, and they'll be as they're coming forward, I just wanna just share a moment with you about uh the significance of this song. One of the uh, first times it was performed was in London, uh, and King George II was in, in attendance. And he was so moved by this uh, song, the Alleluia chorus, which is part of Handel's Messiah, that as it came to a conclusion, he stood. And and uh, and of course, when a king stands, everybody else stands too, as you know. And so uh, ever since then, the tradition has been that as the Messiah, as excuse me, as the Alleluia chorus, is uh, performed, uh, the audience stands. And so we invite you to stand and, and, and if you'd like to sing along, the, the Alleluia chorus is in your blue hymnals, um, at number 37. And so if you'd like to join in the singing of the chorus as well, you're invited to do so. Uh, but this time we invite you to stand and enjoy. Go in peace, knowing that the Lord lives and reigns forever. Amen.